Welcome to the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast that's raising the bar on craft cocktails. I'm your host, Louise Sullis, and back with me today is the man, the legend, the icon, and sometimes a mystery. He's today's designated barkeep. He's Dwayne. Welcome to the show, Dwayne. Thanks for having me. Yes. Can I, um, yes. Can I be Gina today? Those are some tall shoes. Brother, if you can, if you can do it, hey, I never, I never attempt it. It's dangerous. Let me see. If I were Gina, I wouldn't ask. I'm Gina, and uh, today <laughs> we're gonna have some fun. You know. <laughs> now you gotta get your um your Long Island uh, spunky accent going now. I can't a tough do one. that, but I find I got an apron here somewhere I can put on. <laughs> yes, we're missing Gina today. She's not on the show, so we Dwayne is stepping in and hanging out with us and gonna show us a. a cocktail or two today so that's great so Dwayne I have a question for you have you ever been to um, Shanghai I've been to Shanghai <laughs> so well did you know it's one of the world's largest cities and it actually um, dates back to uh, 4000 BC um, it's known as the Pearl of Asia or the Paris of the East um, and here's another little quirky tidbit um, they have <laughs> this is really funny they have a marriage market so on Sundays, many parents in Shanghai make their way down to the People's Square looking for suitable mates for their children. And they, uh, what they do, they think there's somebody there, they exchange information and hope uh, something might work out. <laughs> I wish I'd had a deal like that. Oh, wait, is this... <laughs> just kidding, honey. Yeah, just, exactly. Uh, be careful what you say. Uh, all this is recorded. Um, so another one. So have you ever been to Rotterdam? No. Okay, so um, someday you really need to because they actually have an amazing jazz festival every year, every, every year once you know, we get outside of this COVID space. So anyway, um, but it's a really interesting city that has really interesting um, architecture and structures, including they have cube-shaped shaped, cubed shaped houses so they sit on a like a cylinder and then the top the top half looks like a cube on its end it's on its edge it's very very strange but anyway so each one of these cube shaped houses um, represents a tree and so when they're all together they represent the homes represent a forest or the community does and they also have speaking of unique structures shaped like trees and it looks like a bunch of dice it's, it's, it's very unusual. Um, the, Rotterdam um, also is home of a large um, statue of Santa Claus. And what makes I've been, this so... I, I've been to Santa Claus. Okay, so what makes this, this sculpture of Santa Claus so unique is that um, he was actually um, created by a visual artist named Paul McCarthy, not to be m- confused with the beetle, um, but his old St. Nick statue um, is holding a rather let's say unusual and uh, unique designed Christmas tree. And this tree has inspired the nickname for this statue, which is the butt plug gnome. (laughs) So you need to Google that because it's a major structure or statue in the middle of Rotterdam. And once you see the tree, you'll understand. I already went visual, so. So we're going to go one more place. Have you ever been to Singapore? Been there? No. <laughs> I haven't been to any of these places. Well, I've been to Amsterdam many times. Never, not, never Rotterdam. I've not been to Singapore either. So Singapore is known as the Lion City. And they have a sim- they're symbolized by what's called a, a merlion. 
kind of like a merman, but a merlion. So it's a mythical creature with the head of a lion and the tail of a fish. Um, and also, Singapore is apparently um, a city like a of mythical, man-made... mythical creature. It's a mythical creature. They have a big statue like right... No, it's a mythical, the... mythical creature. It's like a fake, fake creature. Well, you know, unicorns. You know, I don't know. But, I don't no, know unicorns if they're really is just real. mythical. I can't well, tell you. But when the unicorns start talking about mythical creatures... The unicorns talk about merlions. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, that shit ain't real. <laughs> so here's another thing. So, um, so apparently Singapore is a city of man-made waterfalls. Um, and apparently they say no trip to Singapore is complete without a visit to the world's tallest indoor water, uh, waterfall. It's located at um, the airport, of all things, and it soars approximately 1,200 feet into the air, and it's surrounded by a lush garden. It's actually very beautiful. Um, what, I've not been there, but I saw it online one day. So <laughs> ever in Singapore, don't miss the airport. I was going to say, if you go to Singapore, if you fly in, you don't need to do anything else. You can just turn back around and leave, and you're good. That would be a really long flight for us anyway. But anyway, so what you might ask me, what do all three of these unique cities have in common? I was thinking I was going to ask you, Louise, what do those cities have in common? Well, they're iconic, yes. But all three are um, some of the largest port cities in the world. You don't say. I don't say. Actually, I do say. And what I also say is this, what's, this is what brings me to today's designated drinker. He is none other than the founder and the president of Port City Brewing Company. That's Bill Butcher. Welcome to the show, Bill. Well, thank you, Louise. And hello, Dwayne. How are you? Doing well, Bill. Great. It's good to be with you all today. Cool. Well, I'm so glad to have you. I know that was a pretty long intro, but kind of like, you know, you inspired me with your Port City. <laughs> I like it. I haven't good. been to any of those cities either, but I've added them to my list here. Good, good. Um, and maybe you can write it off. You can call it research for port for cities. For sure. There you go. Yeah. See, port cities for Why me not? were like Baltimore and Bladensburg and Rivertown, Riverdale, Maryland. That's, those are my port cities. I've been to those port cities as well. <laughs> so, Bill, tell, tell us what um, turns a, a, a wino into a beer head? <laughs> well, um, I was I was in the wine business for 18 years before starting the brewery, uh, but craft beer is something that I've always enjoyed um, ever since you know, I've been in the drinks business my whole adult life, and craft beer is something that has always interested me, and I've always enjoyed craft beer, and over the years of my career in the wine business, I watched the craft beer business grow watched it evolve and watched it become more sophisticated and it became more and more like the fine wine business. And finally, I, you know, it dawned on me that you know, these are obviously different liquids, different drinks, um, but they're sold through the same channels. Uh, we use a lot of the same distributors. Um, I've worked with bartenders and restaurants and wholesalers all up and down the East Coast for all these years. And I had longstanding relationships uh, with the DC on and off premise markets. And it just seemed like, um, you know, DC didn't have any uh, local packaging breweries at the time. And it, and it seemed that uh, if we could do something of super high quality, uh, that the market would give us a chance and that uh, we could be successful and people would embrace local. Um, you know, the local food movement, the local drinks movement. Um, you know, my wife and I have 
always supported local agriculture and tried to buy our food from local vendors. And at the time we found that all the beer we were buying was coming from the West Coast. And it really just didn't make, it was kind of a contradiction that we're supporting local and these other um, aspects of our life, but the beer we're buying is coming from California. So we started looking more into East Coast options, more local options, and we couldn't find a beer that we liked as much uh, made on the East Coast as uh, say Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. And so that really is what um, led us down the path to, uh, to starting the area's first um, craft packaging brewery. Cool. So it was really kind of a space that you didn't see that was fulfilled. Yeah. And, and, you know, I kept looking around. I'm like, well, why hasn't someone done this? Why isn't there a a local brewery in the area? Uh, And there had been a local brewery um, back in the 90s, uh, but it was purchased by um, Anheuser-Busch and they moved the production to Delaware. And so it kind of left a hole in the market. And while the local food and drink movement was growing and support seemed to be growing, there was just this this something missing. And it just sure. seemed like uh, it would be something that people would support if you could do it at the right quality level. Um, yeah. You know, obviously DC is a very sophisticated food and drink market. And you know, unless we, you're drinking with Dwayne and I. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm looking at some of those bottles that Dwayne has over his shoulder and they look pretty fancy. I know, right? <laughs> uh, so we came into this thing, you know, not just trying to be the best local brewery, but really trying to come in at the high end of quality and really trying to brew beer that could stand in the company of the world's finest. That, that was the goal from the beginning. Um, and that really came from my background of working with the Mandavi family, who have always re- stressed quality and constantly improving quality and never being satisfied uh, with, with the results and, and our existing quality and always pushing for more. And that's really where the motivation came from to uh, not just try to be the best local brewer, but try to brew beer that's among the best in the world. So what did you start with? What was, when you first started, what kind of, uh, what beers were you, were you brewing? What were you well, buying? Like, what did you zone in on? <laughs> what we zoned in on and my approach to creating the, uh, the core of the portfolio was really a California winery model. Um, Interesting. You know, if you look at a, a typical California winery, they're going to have a Sauvignon Blanc, they might have a Chardonnay, a Pinot Noir, and then some on the dark and heavy spectrum, a Syrah or a Zinfandel or a Cabernet Sauvignon. And so we really took that approach of having something light and crisp on one end of the spectrum and something dark and full-bodied on the other end of the spectrum, and then a couple stops in between, you know, a pale ale, an IPA, um, and, and really just having the spectrum of flavors, of flavor profile covered. So we didn't go in thinking, okay, we have to make a wit beer and we have to make a porter, but we wanted something light and crisp and we wanted something dark and heavy. Um, and when we found our brewmaster, uh, Jonathan Reeves, I kind of a, laid out this flavor profile approach to the portfolio. And so he said he was working at a brew pub in Southern Maryland at the time. And I would drive over to the brew pub, follow him around the brewery, and we would taste beers in the morning and just talk about what we liked and what we didn't like in craft beer. And that's really where we came up with these profiles. And he would give me samples of beers that he had brewed to bring home. And my wife and I would taste them that evening. And that's really where we decided on the styles. It was not say, okay, we got to have a Pilsner and we got to have a Porter. Uh, but really just trying to fill these flavor profiles so that we could have something uh, that we thought would would be for everyone. 
Interesting, interesting. So uh, speaking of, why don't we just start uh, we'll dip into the stash that you sent us? Great this is the hard idea. part about the about the about the job. Sorry. <laughs> hard work, but someone's got to do it, right? So where would you like us to start at? Uh, the first beer. Um, we'll start with the optimal wit. And when we do a brewery tour here at Port City Brewing Company, um, Optimal Wit is usually the beer we start with uh, because it's light, it's crisp, it's refreshing, it's easy drinking, uh, and it's approachable. And so this beer also is a beer that I tell people that when they say, you know, I'm not much of a craft beer drinker, I'm more of a wine drinker, this is the beer that I say would be good for them. Um, yep. Um, so that that's me. <laughs> um, so I learned how to drink beer um, from somebody you may know, um, Tommy, who owns uh, Port City, and um, who owns a uh, Lost Abbey. Oh yeah, Tommy Arthur, sure. Yeah, and that's who actually taught me how to drink beer many, many years ago with friends who my husband and which I told you before is a beer head and our friend who also is a beer head and we were in San Diego and he introduced us to Tommy and I wasn't drinking. I'm like, no, no, I don't drink beer. I drink wine. It's not that I don't like, you know, this is just my thing, blah, blah, blah. And he took it on as a challenge and that's before sours were even like well known. It was in yeah. that he took me down and he went through my wine profile exactly to your point and he's like, and he narrowed it in and he went through some other things but then we got it, it was it was really following those flavor profiles which everyone has it's just what you prefer um and uh no right and wrong and so he got sure. me to sours and that's when i learned really how to drink beer and how to approach it um from a very knowledgeable space so it was a it was a nice it was, it's nice to have that lesson from somebody who was like the number one brewer in the u.s for how long <laughs> yeah well tommy is uh he's an industry icon uh he's a friend uh he and i both serve on the uh, brewers association Ooh. events committee and obviously he's been in the industry uh, for a long time and he's been you know, a great spokesperson. This is really nice and bright. Yes, uh, it's bright, it's crisp, it's refreshing. Um, Bill, how do you beer, feel about the citrus in your wits? I'm sorry? How do you feel about your, the citrus in your wits? I, I have a habit of adding citrus oils to my weeded beers just because I love it. Yeah. But is, it, is that like blasphemous to the, the beer creator? I, I wouldn't say it's blasphemous. And a lot of people like to do that. Uh, they find it's an enhancement um, to a, especially a wit beer. Um, however, I will say that, you know, we brew this beer with spices. And one of the spices that we use is uh, dried Spanish orange peel. So uh, we like to tell people that the citrus is already in there and it's not necessary to add something. But I also wouldn't say that it's blasphemous. Uh, I would say that you should drink what you like and drink it in the way that you like it. So if it enhances the flavor for you, then I think it's, it's a good thing for you. Were you, Dwayne, were you putting a lemon or is, is that why with, it's always interesting to hear like somebody who has such great knowledge um, and bartenders can't help themselves, can they? No, we, we, think, we think we know what's best, but I gotta tell you, it's a segue. I put a little bit of lemon peel in this and the segue I had, I had opportunity to um, work with uh, Jim McEwen and Jim McEwen, famed master uh, distiller for many whiskeys, but he had recently released a gin, and I was part of a team that was uh, going to help him bring it to market. And in his mind, he had brewed this gin for gin and tonics, or to be enjoyed if you're a gin drinker, you love gin. And I'm part of this mixologist council, and uh, he sits down, we're having lunch one-on-one, -on -one. me, Jim McEwen and his handler, a friend of mine. <laughs> and uh, 
he says to me, he said, Dwayne, I hear you're uh, in his accent. I won't even try to do his accent. He said, I hear you know a lot about uh, drink making and stuff. He's, and he basically laid out and said, you know, I put a lot of care and expertise into creating this to be exactly the way it should be enjoyed. Tell me how you're going to make it better. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure, right? <laughs> so I definitely respect the creator and the... Uh, the, but I, I, I also know sales and, uh, you know, the first mass marketed wheat beer that came that came out here uh, had that be- that big orange wedged into the top of the, uh, the, the bottle, you know, hmm. and people right. learned how to drink yeah. weeded beers yeah. that that way. That's that's where the, the wheat beer took off, you know, so when you have one, it was either that or it had sludge in the bottom that you had to stir and pour back in. Right. There was. One of two styles. Yeah. So yeah. I've never had the opportunity to ask uh, someone who cared and created and it was invested in their product how they felt about the the marketing ploy of it. Like, I'm sure the people, you know, the, the drinking culture for B- Budweiser's Mexican beer of jamming a lime in it is more for the marketing at the beach than it is for what was intended, right? But um, yeah, I do enjoy a little lemon peel yeah. On the glass. Well, there's, there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Um, but we brew it with, uh, obviously with care. Um, you know, the spices we use in this beer, uh, I, I mentioned the orange peel. Uh, we also use coriander and um, a spice called grains of paradise, which is a North African spice. It's more of a cooking spice, uh, but it resembles a peppercorn. And that a lot of, most wood beers don't have the grains of paradise in it, but we like it because it gives it a little bit of a, white pepper character on the finish uh, that kind of builds as you sip through the beer. Uh, but we think it just adds a nice, a nice touch to the finish. As, as a novice beer drinker, what I really enjoy about it is that it's, um, it's nice and clean, it's clear, it's beautiful, but it also, it, it's not that it's missing character. I mean, it is is light. It feels light and bright is how I would expl- how I would describe it. But there, it's not lacking flavor by any means. It's not like yeah. it, it, those beautiful like they're really beautiful notes through this that are um, really easy on the palate. Um, and you know, I could see um, this being an all day er. Yeah, definitely. It's it's relatively low in alcohol, and it's you know as you mentioned, it has kind of evolving flavors in the glass. It's a very complex beer, so it's easy to drink on the one hand for a beginner, but at the yeah. same time for a, an aficionado, it's something that's very complex. It has evolving flavors, and it really just invites you back into the glass for another sip. Absolutely, Absolutely. I definitely have a problem with it because there's a hole in your glass. Is that what it is? <laughs> <laughs> This beer also, uh, another aspect that we're quite proud of with it is that uh, the wheat that we use for this beer is 100% locally grown. It's grown on a farm in Heathsville, Virginia. And uh, we've been using this farmer's wheat for eight years. And he's been able to give us great quality at a great price. And he's been able to grow with us as we've grown uh, the brand. He's been able to scale up his farm. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah it, it's something we're really proud of, and um, we well learned recently that we learned recently that we are the largest purchaser of food-grade Virginia wheat uh, in the Commonwealth. 
You know, it's funny is I never even thought about Virginia being a wheat grower. I grew up in the Midwest and that all of that for me in my head, my my very limited farming knowledge um, for me, it was all through the Midwest, northern tier, the, you know, the Great Plains, um, amber ways of grain. For me, that's where they, I never thought about Virginia being a wheat yeah. grower. But I do People applaud think you. tobacco. Um, yeah. But really, wheat wheat is a big cash crop in Virginia. I do have a question, though, Bill, because um, West Indian background, a lot of European friends and uh, drinking with a lot of my growing up, I had rugby buddies, football buddies, and they never referred to what was mainstream. I'm even talking about before I was drinking. My cousins, my cousin was the rugby player. I never played rugby, but they would always talk down to what was available here and what we called beer. And then finally in this country, when we start producing reputable beverages uh, from fermented grain, we don't call it beer. We jump straight to craft beer. If you, go to, if you go to Europe and you order things comparable to the grains that we're serving, the cask beers and offerings, they're just, it's beer. But here, if you want something of, how do you feel about this, the marketing of being craft beer instead of just being good beer as opposed to the swill that's, that build up, um, I mean, I, I enjoy drinking it, swill too. I drink tons of it. But. <laughs> sure. Oh, it has its place. But you're right. But for a long time, you got to remember that for, for 50 years, American beer was defined as industrial lager, uh, flavorless, clear, light yellow uh, industrial lager that is consistent, uh, boring to drink, but it was consistent. And that's, that's what defined, that's what American beer was for 50 years. And that's what the world thinks of uh, when they think of American beer. Obviously that's changed. We needed to, you know, when the industry was just getting going, we needed to differentiate for people. And we said, well, this beer, we want you to know that this beer is different. It's not the light yellow American lager you're used to. This is beer with character, with flavor, and it's made with craftsmanship. And we're gonna call it craft beer. Uh, and micro beer, micro brew was kind of the, the term, uh, you know, 20 years ago. And it's evolved. Um, but I'll tell you now that opinions are changing uh, across the globe, especially in Europe. Uh, we ex have exported to England and France for the past four years. And I've attended several festivals and been able to show our beer to uh, beer aficionados in, uh, in Paris and in London. And people are quite impressed. And the, all the excitement in these English beer festivals is at the American craft brewer tables. Um, and that's something that's pretty exciting um, that uh, you know, even European brewers are now looking to American craft beer to get ideas and to get. But isn't, um, it, isn't it true, Bill, that um, in certain in certain uh, countries, they're like in Germany, they were restricted in the way that they could brew. So they yes. couldn't even they it, it was kind of put them back on their heels because obviously they were the giant beer makers of the world for so many years. And then when our craft brewers started, came online and things were getting more interesting. And this is, I think this is Garrett Marrero knowledge, just so we be mm -hmm. honest of where this is coming from. <laughs> it's not any, I'm regurgitating. Um, but it was, it was that they had to kind of step up their game and they've had to change their own laws so that they could actually compete on the level that our American brewers were really um, outstepping uh, yeah. these long time, thousands of year old brewers. So, oh yeah. Yeah, well, that's uh, what I, uh, at the festival last year, I was on a panel with other American craft brewers and someone had asked a question about, you know, how did the reputation of American beer change? And I got to tell them, it's like, well, 
you know, the beers that we make all have European origins. This is a Belgian style wit beer that we're tasting. We didn't invent this style. Uh, we put, uh, you know, IPA is another beer that has Speaking British of what, what should we origins. open? Yeah, the IPA would be the next one. Okay. Um, monumental IPA. But what I, what I told them was that, uh, you know, we take European traditions and bring them to America. We beat them around a little bit. Um, and then send it back out in the world. And I was like, well, what can be more American than that? Than taking something from Europe, smacking it around a little bit, and then sending it back out. <laughs> well, just like our version of Italian food, our version of Mexican food, our version <laughs> right. of like any exactly. other. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. To go to Mexico and you get tortillas without flour, what is that? <laughs> they're like, we don't, we, we, where do you think this wheat is coming from? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, the next beer is Monumental IPA. Um, so we went from the Belgian wit beer, and that's our best-selling beer. Uh, that's the number one selling uh, indie beer in the DMV. Um, Congratulations. You're welcome. Thank you. Th yeah, thank you, Dwayne. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then this is our number two seller, our Monumental IPA. And this is our flagship IPA. Uh, it's an American-style IPA. Uh, with all American hops, the hops. What does that, that mean? Use. IPA. I I don't know. I'm sorry. But what, what does IPA mean? Oh, what does it mean? India Pale Ale, and the tradition goes back to um, again. It's a British tradition where the British brewers they when they were sending wooden kegs of beer to India, um, they added more hops to the beer into the cask. Uh, oh. So that it could make the ship, it could it could last on the ship, and it would make the the arduous journey uh, to India, and so that's where that um, oh interesting that story came from. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, I never knew that. Huh. Yeah. Um, so this, this is, is delicious. Yeah, I, I'm not an IPA. From, I'm not an IPA drinker. Um, we've already talked about my beer knowledge, but mm -hmm. this is this is definitely right at my husband's alley. Um, but this is um this is. Um, easy to drink, especially if somebody this is, is so I mean, much flavor. It's so yep. it's it's fruit forward. It's it's citrus. It's grapefruit. It's almost it's almost uh, we call it Portugal in um, in the West Indies, like a tangerine. So it's not that bright, bracing grapefruit. It's got more of a tropical edge yep. to it. Almost almost pineapple grapefruit on the undertone here. This is. Definitely. Amazing. My first time with the, the Monumental. Oh, great. Thanks. This is, um, yeah, it's it's a well-balanced beer. So it's got the bitterness that people look for in an IPA from the hops, uh, but it also has good malt character that balances it out. So it's easy drinking. Um, it's very well-balanced. And it's an IPA that, um, you know, that we're, we're quite proud of. Uh, we you call this stuff. I'm sorry. What I was going to say is like sometimes I, when I experience certain IPAs, they feel really sharp to me. They feel really like it's just sharp. This for me is round. It's a nice round drinking IPA. Um, it's it's uh, it's not that that smack me in the face and knock me down <laughs> with citrus bitter. I think it's definitely. Lovely. Thank you. And you know the West Coast San Diego really engineered that super hoppy, super bitter style of IPA, and it's even known as West Coast IPA. But also, I think, well, I don't know what temperature yours is, Louise, but mine's been sitting on the bar for a bit, so it's warmed up a bit. And normally yep. when I, I've had IPAs before, and they're that sharp, bitter, this is warmed up a little bit and is just amazing. I, I wonder, is, is your, I'm sure your beers are being sold 
if out of restaurants at, at 32 degrees, is that recommend your recommended temperature for these or just slightly, slightly warmer? You know what you're saying, uh, letting the beer warm up a little bit to 45, 50 degrees uh, really does enhance the aromatics, just like a glass of wine. You don't, you know, cellar temperature is ideal. You don't want it to be ice cold because the aromatics, uh, they shut down. And as um, the beer warms up, it's going to release more of that aromatics and you're just going to get a, a, a fuller aroma in the beer. I, I think this beer demonstrates really our brewing philosophy um, probably best because it's well-balanced, it's complex, um, it's easy to drink, um, and it has a refreshing character on the finish. And that's something that is a commonality in all the beers that we brew is this kind of refreshing character on the finish. And you'll see even our dark beer, um, you'll see that when we get to the porter. So why um, don't we but, just jump right to it? What do you guys think? <laughs> Too soon? Sounds like a great idea. So it's funny when we talk about the fact that I like sours so much, and uh, I've mentioned Garrett. He was actually just on the show. He's been on the show twice. We, uh, Bill, uh, I used to live in Hawaii, so Garrett and I have a little Ohana Where'd connection. You live? Where'd you live? In Hawaii, Hawaii, <laughs> <laughs> on the island of Oahu. Um, but uh, so, and yes, I've been to Maui <laughs> and Lanai. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so Garrett and I have this connection, and um, I was like, Garrett, when are you ever going to make like a sour? And he's like, because he does some guest stuff, but he's like, please, I'm yeah. never letting that yeast loose in my, in my and it was yeah. my ignorance and not understanding how to brew, what brewing means. Like, you can't just let that loose in your, in your, in your brewing. It's amazing I thought that was just really interesting, because of course, what do I know about brewing? You and I are <laughs> on wine. Louise, you and I are on yes. opposite ends on wine, right? You just yep. want to drink it for no reason. I need a reason to drink it. But I was visiting a good friend of mine, in, uh, Kevin, in San Francisco years ago, and he said, um, and he gave me this beer out of the refrigerator. And I was not a huge beer drinker, especially, you know, we're talking 10 years ago. I'm like, everything from California has got this nasty active bitter that I don't want to deal with. Uh, and he gave me this bottle and I'll never forget this bottle. It was called Supplication. And uh, I drank it, and it made me pucker. <laughs> and then salivate in the most wonderful way. And, you know, you're at your buddy's house, and you drink a beer. He went to go do whatever. I just got in. I finished the beer. What'd I do? I went in the fridge, found another beer, popped it, started oh. drinking it again. Oh, no. <laughs> he comes, comes back out. And he's looking around and he goes, oh, no, sorry. He sees me finishing my beer and he goes, he said, you want another one? I said, yeah. He goes to the fridge, looks at the four pack and realizes that there's only one left. He said, wait a minute. Did you have one already? I said, yeah. He said, oh, we're going to the store. He said, this is $26 a four pack. <laughs> but that sour, I also love that. The Lambic styles and all that. I'll drink those all day and end up on the floor because of the alcohol content. But yeah. Any chance of that coming to uh, Alexandria, Bill? Um, no, we also, you know, and Garrett and I, I think, have a similar philosophy. Um, we brew clean beers. Um, and, you know, if we were going to start a sour program, we would need a separate facility uh, because those yeasts and those bacteria that you use to create the souring, um, if they somehow escape into the brewery, um, you can't control it. It gets out of control and um, you know, we, we don't even want that on the same packaging line. You would have to have a completely separate facility. So we recognize that it is growing in popularity. A lot of our uh, co-workers here 
love to drink sour beer, but they know that they're not going to get one uh, from Port City. Is it, is it wrong for me to say maybe there's a, a point where you uh, maybe you just put a mask on that and stay six feet away or, yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> My politics are showing. <laughs> yeah, un, un, unfortunately, I, I don't, we haven't figured out a way to do that. Yeah, I'm sure. So this is this is really nice. Again, I, I what I the commonality between e, each one of the beers that we've had, it's um, they're easy. They're not they're they're but they're complex. They're not simple like oh if, if, for a beginner. What it is is it doesn't. Um, it's very approachable beer, I, and, and I mean that in the most positive way. Yeah. Well, shouldn't beer be delicious? Shouldn't beer be easy to drink exactly. and shouldn't it yeah. bring a smile to your face? Isn't that the whole purpose exactly. of, of beer, right? <laughs> uh, but this, our porter, our porter changes a lot of minds uh, when people come to our tasting room. And, you know, if we're offering a flight, uh, we get to the dark beer and the person might say, oh, you know, I'm not a dark beer person. And we simply just have a little sip, you know, and so we put it in front of them, they'll take a sip. And most of the time, it just brings a big smile to their face uh, because it surprises them that they do like the flavors in that beer. Um, you know, when you smell this beer, it's roasted coffee. And when you taste it, it's bittersweet chocolate. And we ask people, you know, do you like coffee? Well, yeah, I, I love coffee. And do you like chocolate? Like everybody loves chocolate. And that's the two main flavors and aromas in, in this porter. Um, very smooth, very malty, very easy to drink. And again, the complexity just draws you back into the glass for another sip. What people it, don't realize, what people don't realize is that this beer is 7.2% alcohol. <laughs> be <laughs> careful on those. Goes down easy. <laughs> if you don't know it now, you'll know it soon. <laughs> See, it's, it's, this is terrible, but I'm going to say it's kind of like Dwayne in a glass. It's dark, bittersweet, a <laughs> little smoky. <laughs> <laughs> Mysterious. And draws you in. <laughs> Brings you back. When uh my first that was not my first time with the porter. And I remember when uh McBain and I tasted it. The reason we brought it on, we were looking for a dark beer. And uh I grew up again, West Indian, we were drinking Guinness for an extra stout. Yep. Or yep the milk stouts, either Mackeson or the local Royal or something like that, which was polarizing sweet bitter mm -hmm. or bracingly sharp bitter. And uh, when I saw that we had a porter coming from Virginia, I was like, this is going to be sugar in a glass. <laughs> Don't want to, I mean, waste of time. And I remember us finishing four bottles in the six pack that uh, just like, tasting between us going back and forth trying to get it and it was absolutely that approachable iced coffee it is beer it does have that bitter in it you're definitely getting the the effervescent the quality but it's so easy to drink and in that 15 minutes where the two of us finished four beers and we stood <laughs> up and realized that that seven percent was real um before our shift uh again this is i don't know the history of brewing in Virginia, but um, the stuff that you guys are putting into bottles is is uh, quality, credible, and uh, and absolutely delicious. Uh, Thank you. You know, and that's like I said, that's always been the goal of our brewery is to come out with the very best example of whatever style of beer we're brewing. We're not trying to invent new styles of beer. We're taking existing uh, beer styles and putting our twist on it, either a, a unique ingredient or a unique brewing technique that other brewers aren't using to put our 
stamp on the beer and make it our own. Um, I'll tell you that all three of the beers that we've had today, uh, they are recognized as some of the best examples of the style in the United States. Um, each one has won um, medals. Each of these three beers has won a medal at the Great American Beer Festival. Um, the Wit Beer has won gold, silver, and bronze. Um, the Monumental IPA won a silver and a bronze, and the Porter won a silver uh, back in 2015. And that was the year, actually, that, you know, one of our proudest achievements was uh, we won more medals at the Great American Beer Festival in 2015 than any other brewery in the country, and we were named Small Brewery of the Year. And that really oh, put us on the map as far as quality. Thank you. It's, you know, it's a great, it's been a great honor. Uh, it really helped put us on the map as far as uh, uh, being a quality producer. That's awesome. So, um, Dwayne, were you going to do a little something, something for our uh, listeners today? What are we doing? Oh I my mean, goodness. beer standalone, well, but you know. I've been here and I have been enjoying these beers probably at a, a volume clip that I shouldn't, but I am super, <laughs> after tasting that, I, I love the, the Optimal Wit. Optimal Wit, I think, all day, any day, after work, uh, summertime, daytime drinking, I mean, I put this right up there with my, my Aperol Spritz, which, you know, I, oh. I swear by the Aperol Spritz for Absolutely daytime drinking. You if you're not going to drink the Aperol Spritz, grab the Optimal Wit, right? Maybe a little Optimal Wit with some Aperol in it, make a, a spaghetti with it. I, I think that'll work. But today, that's kind of a Boilermaker. Okay. But today, I think I'm going to do a uh, monumental IPA. Oh, Boilermaker. Now, for those of you who don't know, Boilermaker is a great way to drink uh, a beer in a shot, right? After work, you can slam the beer, sip the whiskey. More commonly, you slam the whiskey, sip the beer. Uh, or you can add the whiskey to your beer. Today, I'm drinking some uh, wild turkey. I'm going to have some wild turkey bourbon today. Okay, so I have a, um, I have a, just an American whiskey. Is that okay? Yes. Okay. You do whiskey. You got a little Virginia whiskey, a little Catoctin Creek. I see it. Catoctin Creek. It was aged in a Port City Ale barrel. Oh, we, oh so uh, you might have to send me a bottle show, of that. You didn't send me any of that. <laughs> oh, he should. <laughs> you may have to send us a bottle of that. So here we go. What are you doing there? Well, I'm just measuring out a careful measure yes, of as, as much as should. you want. <laughs> a careful measure of as much as you want. Being responsible, <laughs> I wouldn't go much more than an ounce and a half, ounce and a quarter, an ounce even if you've had a full optimal wit already. Yes. Now, many people like, some people like to sip and go back and forth, but that's not a boilermaker. That's just you double fisting it. All okay. right. If you're going to do a double, a boiler maker, you're either going to, some people will drop the, this straight in their glass. Mine won't fit. Pour it right in your beer. Okay. And do you care what the proportions are from beer to whiskey or beer to spirit? Normally you buy a beer and you buy a shot, right? If you're buying a beer, you're going to get a 12 to 16 so ounce like beer. That. If you buy a shot, if you're lucky, well, depending on where you are, but they're going to pour you an ounce and a half. If you Depends on who you maker, know. They're going to pour you an ounce, <laughs> one ounce beer to a 12 ounce, uh, 12 ounce pour. Stir it in or take your shot and sip. 
So you could, you, would you pull through then? Pull through, what do you mean, stir? Yeah, I stir and pour. If you want to stir, you can okay. stir it. If you pour it in, what happens is, oh my gosh, with this IPA in, in, in the turkey, you're getting, for me, it's bringing out these butterscotch notes. We each have different whiskeys, right? But yep. butterscotch on the bottom, the booze factor disappears, it mellows, it integrates with, with, with the volume in the alcohol. So now all you're doing is pushing up flavors. You're getting every bit of that, uh, I'm getting coconut now, uh, it mixed in with that pineapple and citrus. I mean, it's become more tropical, more toasted. Oh my gosh, this is, this, this is delicious. This is the way, if you can't just have this monumental IPA, have the monumental IPA and a shot of 101 bourbon, because, uh, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, what, seeing you... a simi I'm seeing a similar thing uh, with the Catoctin Creek uh, rye. It's, um, it cuts the, it's cutting the bitterness of the hops in the beer, and it really brings up the fruity notes. And you, know, you mentioned the tropical fruit notes uh, from the hops. And it, even um, it, it tastes like a little bit of, of sweetness. Uh, I'm sure it's not, but it, but it does taste uh, just some intense Perceived fruitiness. sweetness. It's elevating the fruit for sure. It's, mm -hmm. I don't know. I think, I think, I've always thought as the Boilermaker as this, you know, lazy way to just get drunk. But no, <laughs> from a perspective of enjoying the beer with, with a good beer, I mean, it's like wine and food. There's an enhancement that's happening here that's, oh my God. Yeah, they're complimentary for sure. So uh, we're going to do a little housekeeping right now. Um, Dwayne, where are people going to go to get this simple recipe? <laughs> this amazing experience can be found at the designated drinker dot show. Wait a minute. What did you say? The designated drinker dot show. Absolutely. So you're going to have tips, tricks, and how-tos on all of our recipes from every episode. And we'll definitely have... the designated drinker dot show. <laughs> and the other thing we're going to do is make sure we have links to, um, to Port City Brewing. Because, Bill, you guys, you guys are doing some interesting things during COVID, right? You can, like, actually order online. Um, and if you live close enough... Yeah, we do. Somebody home, might that I know. You can actually we, have home yeah. delivery. <laughs> we do home deliveries within five miles of the brewery. Uh, we do that daily. If you get your order in by noon, uh, our truck's out from three to six making the, the home deliveries. Uh, it's completely contactless. We leave it on your doorstep. We ring the doorbell. We take payment um, contactless. Um, we also have curbside pickup so people can pull into the parking lot. They pop their trunk. Again, it's contactless. We bring the beer out. We put it right in your trunk. Uh, and then we have limited access to our tasting room. The building itself is closed, but we do have our patio out front where you can reserve a tasting cabana uh, for a two-hour time slot. And I love uh, that, that name, Tasting <laughs> Cabana. That's yeah. awesome. I love it. <laughs> there love the are 10, 10 by 10 festival tents with an eight-foot picnic table inside. And uh, you make a reservation on our website, and that also is contactless. You order on a QR code on your phone, and then you pay through the app, and then we just bring the beers out to you. 
So that's awesome. So you can uh, support your local brewer. I would imagine in wherever you guys, wherever our listeners are, they should find out what their local brewery is doing because I'm sure everyone's trying to pivot and figure out how pivot. to um, make a difference in this really, really tough time for our food and beverage industry. So I um, highly recommend if you are not in um, the D.C. Virginia area, D.C., Virginia, Maryland area, um, that you find out what your local brewer is doing as well, because we need to make sure we, we uh, support all, uh, support um, our food and beverage industry as best as we can, which includes, which extends, and I don't think everyone always, I don't think everyone actually pieces the, the ripple effects of um, our, all of the restaurants being closed, Bill. I'm sure I'm singing to the choir. It uh, dramatically affects your business, obviously. Um, so, yes, absolutely. Like I said, support your local. Thank you. See, I'm not just a pretty face, damn it. Um, so, um, Dwayne, are you ready for that question? I am. Bill, I, you know, people cope with things differently. They really do. They, uh, some, some people have an imaginary friend. Some people write letters. Some people write books. Some people brew, make drinks. The kids these days, my kids, I hear them talking about identifying or escaping. They... They draw from inner courage. They can identify with what is known as a spirit animal, right? So uh, an internal mascot that they determine and identify with themselves that they express. I don't deal with animals much. I deal with drinks and I deal with making things delicious. I deal with, much like you, you make things that people will enjoy. How can we enhance them? I wanted to ask you, if you could be... What do you identify with? I'm not going to ask you your pronouns. <laughs> I don't need to know your pronouns. I want to know what your spirit ingredient is. Now, spirit is a little confusing. We're not talking about spirit like it has <laughs> to be an alcoholic spirit. But what is your spirit ingredient? What identifies you? Well, we have at the brewery a cultural symbol, um, and it is a fresh pineapple. That would be my spirit item. Um, a fresh pineapple symbolizes hospitality, Southern hospitality, Virginia hospitality. Um, our industry, the restaurant and drinks industry is hospitality. Uh, and the pineapple became a symbol of hospitality in colonial days when sea captains would return to their home port city, having been to exotic destinations and they would come home uh, with exotic fruits. And at this time, a pineapple was an exotic fruit. And when the sea captain would return home, he would take the pineapple and spike it on his gate out front to let people know that he was home, safe, and receiving visitors, and that people were welcome to come over and, uh, and, and visit. Um, so that has evolved into a general symbol of hospitality. And every day since we've opened, in 2011, we have placed a fresh pineapple out on our sign on Wheeler Avenue at the brewery in Alexandria. And it's become a tradition, uh, but every day since we opened 10 years ago, the, the fresh pineapple has been sitting out there welcoming visitors to the brewery. That's awesome. That story has been embedded in, uh, in Alexandria history, I think, as well. Uh, yes. Which is, which is amazing. Well, cheers to that. Uh, that was an amazing answer, actually. It was uh, actually, sometimes they ask me and I'm like, I feel like an onion. You know, I don't know if that was. <laughs> Yours was by far more Shrek. heartfelt and thoughtful. 
<laughs> well, thank you guys. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for all the beautiful um, beer that you sent us. We get Absolutely. to taste through. Dwayne, thanks for uh, keeping uh, the show on, on on going off the rails. And uh, everyone be safe, be healthy, and hope to see you all soon. Cheers. Enjoy being with y'all. Cheers and be easy. Thanks, guys. Take care. The Designated Drinker Show is produced by Missing Link, a podcast media company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Missing Link is a proud partner of Hearing Charities of America, a nonprofit organization that supports those who are deaf or hard of hearing. To learn more about HCOA or to find out about Missing Link's other podcasts, head over to missinglink.company. That's missinglink.company. 